evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Half Ashed. My name is Craig Schneider. That gentleman, 1,850 miles south-southeast of me, is Mr. Kip Fisher, and we are coming to you live for the 129th time this 23rd day of October of 2015. Mr. Fisher, how the hell have I found you this evening? Mm, I'm fur to Midland, but I can't complain. Yeah, it's better than uh, better than not, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If I complain, nobody listens. <laughs> I listened to a podcast this week that that said uh, talked about the five things that you should never talk about, and then at the end of the podcast, they basically say, "And the reason why you should never talk about these five things, nobody cares." And it was, <laughs> you know, how are you feeling? Like if you're not feeling well, what the weather's like? What was your day like? Blah blah blah. It's totally true. <laughs> Pretty much our entire intro. Yeah, basically the first 10 minutes of this show. So from now on, folks, skip to minute 11 and you're good. Yeah, that's that's probably not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, while you're on minute 11, I mean, you might as well just skip to, you know, minute 115 so you can get the unveiling of our unbanded. How's that? <laughs> yeah, it, it may take a little extra time this week. Uh, uh Dan Crouch, DC, submitted our unbanded tonight, and I failed to notify him, so I'll have to send him a link when we post. He was serious about not letting us know anything about this cigar. If those of you that are watching the video can see, this is in a a uh, masked um, Netflix envelope, which you can't see anything through, and wrapped up and double taped with black electrical tape. So there's little chance we're going to know anything, nor be able to open this thing in less than 10 minutes. I have to say, when I clicked over to the video to finally look what that thing was, I thought it was a three and a half inch floppy disk. <laughs> wow. He gave Still, us that? That's how we can read it? He really doesn't want us to see it. <laughs> yeah. I haven't had one of these in 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> Very secure uh, media, though. Yeah, it's kind of funny. That would be the most secure way to pass it along to us. Yeah. There's uh, no way to read it. And if you can, not enough space to store a virus on there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, well, I have had, uh, it's been two weeks since we last recorded. Or See? If you couldn't tell, we uh, were on a slightly uh, uh, more, oh, I don't know, abbreviated schedule. Let's put it that way. Generally recording every other week. We get a guest host in there every once in a while, and we uh, sometimes we'll double up, so on and so forth. But either way, when you have two weeks off, it makes it all the more sweet when you come back in, at least for me. So, Plus, I, I'm sure I've said it 24 times if I've said it once for the 24 other Unbandeds we've done. I absolutely adore the Unbanded shows. It's, uh, you know, we regularly, you know, I'd say... Feel free to jump in here. We regularly, um, oh, share some opinions and some thoughts, and and uh, really don't hold ourselves in too high a regard. I would imagine mm. we enjoy it, but we don't take ourselves too seriously, right? Yep, just like our schedule, we're erratic. <laughs> Very true. So when we have an unbanded offering, it just it doubles that up. It's like it's like squaring 
the uh, the amount of idiocy we normally bring to the table. So I gotta imagine there's some listeners that just smack their forehead when they find out we're doing an unbanded because we we ride that edge of what they can tolerate as it is, and then when we have an unbanded, we completely humiliate ourselves. But I love them. It's it's the, it's the opportunity for us to just be uh, a little bit more uh, open and free and not have any preconceived notions. A great way to taste. Yeah. It. And we have uh, an opportunity to inject a little sunshine and maybe add a couple of unbandits. I think this is public knowledge now, but Michael Stewart is going to come and pay me a visit in January and has graciously volunteered to mule things such as unbandits. If you would like to contact Craig and maybe get an address to send them to, I think he can pass them off to Michael before then. Absolutely. I uh, I actually was supposed to be going out with Michael Stewart last night and could not uh, could not Dang. make it. Thought you're both married. <laughs> Shh, don't tell my wife. Um, <laughs> although I have to say, yesterday when we were supposed to be getting together, he was sporting one sexy pair of later hosen. I saw the picture of that. <laughs> yeah, there there were a few shots on Facebook that uh, fans of Half Ash probably got to see. <laughs> Boy, those were. Uh, you had to turn the contrast down on your monitor, I think. Those are some white legs. <laughs> yeah, so back to the topic at hand. Uh, we kind of put the unbanded on. Not taking on. ourselves too seriously? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we had put the uh, unbanded plan on hold for the past few months after the move, not knowing how we are going to handle it. This, this would be an excellent opportunity to further the segment. Yeah, so uh, again, if anybody out there does like the unbanded uh, <clears throat> the unbanded uh, segment of the show, why don't you drop an email to me at uh, Craig C R A I G at halfashed dot com, and uh, don't tell me what you're gonna send, but I'll even put it out there. Maybe you don't have to send anything other than the fact that you have an idea for an unbanded. I can put you in touch with Michael Stewart and uh, I'll provide some funds for Mike and he can buy those cigars for us with that money I provide and uh, bring them down there. So you don't even have to send us cigars. You could just uh, tell us that you have an idea for an unbanded and I'll get you in touch with Mike. We can make all that work and uh, still have kind of our regular situation where nobody's obligated to send anything in whatsoever we're more than happy to uh, to front that opportunity. So, so again, Craig at halfashed.com. Let me know what your plans are, and uh, I can get you in touch with whoever you need to get in touch with. If you got cigars, you can send them to me. If you've got an idea for cigars, you can talk to Mike. So we'll make that happen. It should be pretty good. Boom. Louis Canarosso. Well, this uh, number 25 from D.C., it uh, looks to be a pretty close to a regular Robusto. Mine, yeah. I think, might be a little bit larger than yours, unless you were just eyeing it up. I don't know. I actually put a measurement to mine. What did you do? Yeah, I put it on the gauge, but I don't know if you can see this in the video. It's kind of compressed one way, so it was an odd, odd uh, cross section. So it could, it could very well be a fifty-two. I had it on a fifty, but it's a little bit smooshed. Well, we've. Uh, 
we've had these for some time. I'd, I'd guess uh, three, four months. Something um, along those lines. Since I've been in this country for four months, and we had them well before that, I'm going to say it's even longer. Holy crap. You've been in the DR for four months. Wow. Four months? Yeah, four months tomorrow. Four months tomorrow. Wow. Okay. Well, time flies when you're having fun. Hey, yeah. Hmm. Well, very cool. We, uh, I am smoking this now. I'll say that mine has got a pretty matte wrapper to it. Not a lot of veining. Looks like it could definitely be um, Ecuadorian Habano uh, with the lack of kind of capillary veins that I'm seeing here. It really does have a, a very smooth appearance. It's silky despite not having a lot of visible oils um, and kind of has that that typical Claro shade to it, maybe with just the slightest tinge of green. Um, draws great. Uh, burn, not so good on my example I'm having right now for the show. But um, cap, you made the comment that the cap looked perfect. My cap on both of my specimens have looked equally as good. And uh, uh, I've noticed it feels very light in the hand, though, or felt it, very light in the hand. I actually noticed the same thing. And I'm looking at the uh, second one. I'm currently almost to the end of the first one. I lit it up earlier. Um, and the first one had significantly bigger veins on this wrapper than the second. Does. The second is very sparse. I mean, it only has really one um, significant vein. You can't see that at all. Um, this one does not seem as... Well, I said they had a sheen to it. The first one, kind of like you described it, had a silky feel to it, but you know there was no noticeable residue in your hand after or anything. This one's a little drier, uh, but the construction, again, looks very good. Uh, so far, mine has burned really well, actually, this first one. It didn't do any of the flaking like yours was uh, just a moment ago. But uh, We'll see. I, I, I did notice that it does feel lighter lighter um, than than what I would imagine just by looking, which sounds ridiculous. This second sample that I'll light up here during the show, it is definitely a toothy wrapper. I don't know if you've noticed that at all. The first no. one that I'm going on now is not at all toothy. This second one is definitely toothy, and it appears to have just the, some minor examples of plume on it, just those kind of uh, the efflorescence that you almost get some of the reflectiveness that you'll get every once in a while. I have oh, a stick. cigar to talk about. You can kind of see this cellophane, how dark this is. Is that what the cigar came in for you? No, 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 no. This is oh. what I'm going to talk about later. Uh, this was a ridiculously dark brown. <laughs> it, 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 the, the video is not doing it justice. You can so, definitely tell, though. No doubt. It was a 20-year-old cigar. Wow. Yeah. Well, we'll have to hear about that. Yeah. Hmm. Well, very cool. You know, I uh, I let this cigar kind of catch up. I touched up some of the bad spots. I mean, you can still see that, you know, there's that peak right there. That mm -hmm. was right where the bad spot was. It just doesn't seem to really want to be burning in that area. But I, I will say after kind of letting it, touching it up, letting it mellow, touching it up, letting it mellow, and then now just giving it kind of a full um, equal relight, it does seem to be burning much better now. So, You know, I happen to be in uh, 
I've been in a couple of cigar operations recently, but I had a couple hours available earlier this week and visited a small factory and in the Escaparate, where they store all their cigars while they're holding them before, you know, for aging before shipping them. I noticed all their cigars were stood, they were in wheels, but they were stood up on their end instead of being stacked horizontally the way I normally see it. And the guy told me that was the way that it was done in Cuba because they, the thinking is if they're all stored horizontally, the moisture, I'm waiting on the car to pass, the moisture, uh, you know, affected, left behind the, the more dense moisture that's not evaporating out would settle all on one side and make it difficult to burn on that one side. So they store them vertically so they don't have to rotate the stock as constantly. You know, Fuente, theirs are predominantly horizontal, but they have folks every few weeks that go in and rearrange these cigars over and over and over. And this guy was saying they store theirs vertically for, so they don't have to do that as often. That's interesting. I've never heard that before. Uh, me either. That was new to me. I, I mean, I've never. Uh, I've seen a lot of photos of uh, <clears throat> of Cuban factories and the likes, and I've never. Uh, I've never noticed any cigars standing on foot like that either. But mm-hmm. you know, all different factories run by all different managers. I'm sure everybody's uh, doing their own thing. Yeah. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, I will. The only other. Added comment I'll make here is that um, pre-light aroma off this wrapper was just about the most perfect example of the smell of uh, walking into an aging room and smelling leaf that has been properly fermented and is ready to be rolled. It just has that perfect, not um, uh, not ammoniac, not sweet but just kind of a a rustic um plant hay like aroma um not not dusty or or dry like straw but something that's that's got a little bit of grass a little bit of sweetness a little bit of a dusty aroma to it just like a room filled with aging tobacco it was this the wrapper aroma on these is just perfect I love it. It's it doesn't stand out like anything very very unique, but it just transports me to being back into a uh, a room where tobacco is being stored. Oh, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Mm. I yeah, I'm with you. It's 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 in comparison to the foot, it's very mild. I don't get a lot off the wrapper, but the foot is considerably stronger to me. Now I'd say the foot smelling the foot reminds me a lot of sticking your head your nose right into a hand of tobacco that uh, yeah that is kind of moistened and reinvigorated getting ready for um, just being distributed to roll where it just kind of has some of those you know that moisture has kind of jump started the uh, um, the fermentation process a little bit that that maybe second fermentation or uh, uh, pre-rolling fermentation let's put it that way but yeah the, the wrapper definitely does not have it no we'll talk I, the, about that in uh, I'll, I'll talk just a little bit about that in the world of cigars i got 
a bit of an education on that uh, kind of that whole fermentation process this week. Cool. The uh, it, it, the foot to me is a little darker and sweeter than the wrapper, maybe. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you getting any notes off this thing right in the beginning? Since we're, well, you're further into it than I am. I'm solidly in the second third, but uh, yeah, I'm actually very near the end of the cigar. I got maybe inch and three eighths left. I don't have my handy-dandy ruler out. I will say, while you're looking to get some measurements on what you've got left, um, some striking flavors from right off the draw on this thing. It was incredibly sweet, sugary, caramely sweetness to kind of go along with um, a bit of that aroma that I was talking about, that kind of typical um, well-aged tobacco aroma. That came through on the smoking for me in the first dozen, 15 puffs. Wow. Um, oh, it was awesome. Just caramel and that beautiful tobacco aroma. It was a great start to this stick. That is uh, something that's not normally the case. My experience was radically different. Um, really? I, I, get, I got what you're describing, but not until I was probably an inch into it. The early minutes were just hardcore spice for me. It was, it was roughing up the back of my throat a little bit. Mm-mm. This thing has just a little bit of spice when I retrohale it. Didn't have any on the start whatsoever. Wow. And I, I have, I had uh, a cigar on Saturday and a cigar on Monday. So I'm a very fresh palate in, in, uh, I guess in relation to, uh, other people. I didn't have any other cigars prior to this today. I did. I had a cigar, an extremely mild cigar, this afternoon about one o'clock or so, I guess. Hmm. Well, one o'clock means you probably had a meal after that, and being extremely mild, uh, chances are it didn't really stay with you too terribly much or pollute you too terribly badly. No, it actually is. It, it was this cigar, the twenty-year-old oh. cigar. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, uh, my wife, this is related. My wife, uh, actually had a wine tasting last night, an informal wine tasting. She has a, you know, like so many suburban women, she has a book club she goes to. And, uh, they decided this month there was, you know, so busy with school getting started for all the kids in September that, uh, their gathering in October would just be a, an informal one and everybody would bring a bottle of their favorite wine and, they'd get together and actually do a tasting. And my wife, not being, uh, not being a huge connoisseur of consumables, um, she's a big foodie, but she's not into wine or spirits or anything along those lines um, where one might experience a tasting or try to get a little bit more out of it. Um, she, was, um, she was absolutely blown away by the fact that she typically doesn't enjoy reds. She's a She's a um, oh, it's sweeter whites, but she likes aged sweeter whites. Um, so long and short of it was is that she just came home last night and just was waxing poetically about uh, a comparison tasting and about how that's she's never realized how much uh, more beneficial it is to to compare two things at the same point when you're when you're taking them in rather than have one 
finish it, have another, finish it, but to do them at the same time. And so what I was going to do is um, get heavily into the second third, which I am on this stick, and then light up the second version so I can kind of compare and contrast how the cigars are changing throughout their length. And and uh, now I'm, I'm hoping that that will still be an accurate representation, um, but with you having such a major difference in the first third to me, I'm wondering if we might have a little bit of inconsistencies to play with in the cigars too. I don't know. Always a possibility. You know, the, the, the uh, Florida rep for Ashton for many years was named, it was a man named Rick Snyder who now works for Drew Estate. And he used to do this thing uh, with Ashton events where the event was like 25 bucks and you got an ashtray and three Ashton cigars and you could pick from their lineup. You could do a, you know, a, something a little milder and something a little stronger or whatever. But the three cigars were smoked in order five minutes at a time. You light a cigar, you smoke it for five minutes, put it down, go to the next one, smoke it for five minutes, put it down and then do the third. And you're making notes on each of them. And then you smoke backward through the flight the same way and I was you know I expected there to be some some differences in flavors and have it impacted by the other cigars and all but I was not prepared for how different that experience was when we came back through the flight how how drastically different those cigars were the second time back hmm. you know kind of a a cool thing with that um well, I, I, it's not a cool thing. It's exactly what you're talking about. But there's uh, a legend of the cigar industry that you probably will remember. I think I was doing this on Dog Watch. I don't think it was half ashed. But uh, someone that I really respected for a long while in the industry, his name was Manny Ferrara or Emmanuel oh, yeah. Ferrara. I knew he, him. Uh, uh, so did I. He was, a, he was a hell of a man. I Sad that we lost him too soon. Um he was with Ashton, and uh, I believe he started those Taste of Excellence events, and that was something that he was hugely keen on, seeing what the impact was from the smoking experience, um, what you were taking in, and how that was impacting what you were smoking. Yeah. Um, and so that that is absolutely something that I uh, learned from him can be a huge a huge, huge impact on the experience, no doubt. Yeah, and and they always furnished almonds, actually, to uh, to for between the cigars to kind of clean your palate out a little bit. But nonetheless, the cigars were strongly impacted by the others. It, it was an amazing difference. And I, I came across the little flyer from that event when we were moving in a pile of old papers and crap I'd balled up. And I really want to do that sometime, maybe even on the show. Yeah, the the raw almonds. The key is unsalted raw almonds. That's and, it. Uh, totally works. You make a little almond paste on your tongue, and uh, you don't get it too terribly fine. You still want a little bit of grit, and then that grit helps to kind of clean off the particulate from your palate and tongue, and it really works exceptionally well. Enhances yeah. the whole process to me. Yep. All right. What else we got up for tonight? Well, tonight will be a, a big night. Not only do we have the Unbanded, like we've already uh, mentioned sufficiently, but perhaps the most important news item of the year is uh, 
is being unveiled in the near future, and we just happen to have the uh, countdown that has begun this week. We've got a bit of a continuation of the House of Emilio saga we've discussed over the past uh, episodes. Some extremely fun What You've Been Smoking offerings, which you alluded to uh, earlier, and all sorts of fun and shenanigans. So stick around. We uh, aim to please, and this should be one heck of a show. I'm, I'm excited to see where we go. Already a half an hour in, and uh, we're just now getting to news, so <laughs> let's get to it. Looks like our 11-minute comment was bad advice. Yeah, well, I'm known to give all kinds of bad advice. <laughs> Mental note, no stock tips from Kip. Oh, yeah, that that is good advice right there. <laughs> uh, start us off, my friend. All right. Let's see what we got here first. Robert Caldwell, who some of you may be familiar with from Caldwell Cigars. He, uh, I think he was the guy at Wynwood before that with Christian Eroa. But uh, he's been had his own company, his own line, for quite some time. And he actually was here for an event several weeks ago. And I went down and met him for the first time. I don't know that I ever had before. And uh, he was talking a little bit about something he had coming down the pike and planned. He was here working with, uh, well, with several folks. E.P. Carrillo was who he had been with that day, actually. But anyway, he's now publicly confirmed that he has planned a Maduro version of the Eastern Standard, which is one of his lines. Uh, I'm going to call it a core line. It's not one of the limited runs that he's done. Um, It's going to be out next summer. should be right after IPCPR. Going to have four Vitolas, a five and three quarter by 44 Corona, a six by 49 Pyramid, which is interesting to me, a four and three quarters by 49 Rothschild, and a six by 50 Toro Gordo, which six by 50 seems like a normal Toro size to me. When I see Toro Gordo, it's usually more like a 60, but. 60, yeah. Yeah. Um, should run somewhere near, but slightly more than the uh, normal Eastern Standard line. Pardon me a second, I dropped my cutter. Um, the normal Eastern Standard line has a little bit higher MSRP, I think. But when I see them in shops, they typically run between eight and twelve bucks a piece, depending on the size. Um, and this, these may be just a, a few cents more. Uh, trying to recall the uh, the wrapper on it was a as a wrapper. He's Used for another cigar for, um, oh, dang it. It's, it's from, uh, oh, what was that more expensive line he was doing? I don't know how familiar you are with the Caldwell cigars there. I'm going to call them a newer brand. They've been around before. It's, it's an Arapiraca wrapper. Um, oh, it, oh, it was on that, uh, Really limited run he did in 2014. The last czar, that's what it was. Oh, oh, okay. Um, I actually have one of those around here somewhere. I kept saying I was going to review it. I hadn't got to it yet. By the way, that should resume in the very near future. I have a terrible backlog of reviews, and I've smoked up much of my disposable (laughs) inventory of cigars, so most everything I got left is going to have to require a review at this point. uh, (laughs) Well, I think, that's it, right. I think that Ariparaco was actually a, a hybrid with something else. It was like a 
Connecticut Harper Rucker or some some kind of thing like that. Hmm. I can't say I'm familiar with that, but with this, I am certainly piqued by the fact that uh, <clears throat> this pyramid is definitely a different offering than what you typically see. Yeah. Much closer to uh, uh, Bellicosos Finos at, at a 52 ring uh, by five and a half than your typical pyramidus at six and a quarter by 52, but um, well, I guess it's certainly not that far off from the, the typical, but certainly... Uh, uh, it's certainly nice, a little bit thinner, a little bit shorter. I like that compared to a normal pyramid. Yeah, and like we've talked about before, traditional Vitola names don't really mean what they used to. No, that's that's boy, that's definitely the case. There's no doubt about that. No, it's. I guess I can see that it's confusing. What's the point of a Vitola name? Um, you know, if you're going to use something that's a variation of a Vitola name for your front mark. You know, if you're going to call a cigar a pyramid, yeah, it, it's more representative of uh, the style of cigar, the style of the Vitola, than a necessity to follow an exacting standard. Right. We don't like much regulation in America, so you know, <laughs> don't make me call a pyramid only six and a quarter by fifty-two. By God, <laughs> six by forty-nine will be a pyramid if I say it is. <laughs> yeah. What else we got here? Omar de Frias. The Fratello, uh, I don't even want to say front man, he's the owner. Um, he kind of announced this through some pictures and posts through social media, but then he subsequently put out a press release later later in the week, uh, This two, day, two days ago, I guess, um, that he's uh, releasing a special limited edition sampler. And, you know, I've gone back and forth and had my fair share of criticism for different people over limited editions of anything, but... I love the heck out of the packaging on this. The, the It's a, a five-stick sampler uh, called the Boxer Series. And the names are kind of funny. The Boxer, which is a six and a quarter by 52 Bellicoso. A Boxeador, which is six by 54. The Boxero, five and a half by 50. The Boxista, five by 48. And a Boxerito, which is four and three quarters by, by 46. Um, but the the box itself for this thing actually looks uh, looks like a cigar mold, just like you would see in a factory. It's 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 open on the ends, or at least appears to be open from the images that were included. I, I, you know, I'm I'm admittedly at least one time a sucker for packaging, and will buy a cigar just to try it. You know, on based on packaging, many times once if it's a crappy cigar, never buy it again. But I'll, I'll fess up to that, but uh, I dig it. And and the blend is going to be the same as his original Fratello, which is uh, Nicaraguan Habano over Ecuadorian Sumatra binder and Nicaraguan and Peruvian fillers, which is interesting. I actually like that cigar quite a bit. And I think Ian, who's in the chat room tonight, also is a big fan of those. But uh, these are going to be box-pressed, unlike the original line, but the blend will be the same. Um 3,000 samplers will be produced. So I guess total production for the entire line is about 15,000. And uh, it's going to run about 45 bucks for uh, for the box. I, I, I dig that box. I dig the crap out of that box. I, I, I don't know why, but I'm a big fan of cigar molds. I got a couple of them, uh, which are still in Florida right now. But we'll be coming down here as soon as I can get them here. Um 
I thought it was pretty cool. <clears throat> I uh, I have to say I'm I'm usually not one to double take on packaging, but I definitely did a double take on this one. Um, really, really cool in the photography. Really cool in the photography. You know, certainly don't know exactly what. Uh, um, certainly what um, it's going to look like in a finished product. You can never really tell, but. I think that uh, if you're a fan of Fratello cigars, which I know a lot of people have become recently, this might be a neat addition. It doesn't look like it's going to set you back a uh, a pretty penny or anything like that. So it'd be a nice addition if you've got the space. Yeah. It looks pretty. Yep. And Omar is actually, he's Dominican, but his cigars are made in Nicaragua. I believe, if I remember right, he played professional basketball in the Dominican Republic at some point in the past. He could be a professional sumo wrestler. That guy's a giant. Yeah. I mean, he's not as big around as a sumo wrestler, but he's he is a giant of a man. Yeah, he could be a lineman. Let's go there. Yeah, there you go. He's, he's proportioned correctly. He's just really tall. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Well, he seems like a gentle giant, if nothing else. Everybody who... Every, literally every single person I know that has met him and and spent some time with him has just said that he's just just a a, a dear to be around, just a a sweetheart of a man. So yeah, and and it doesn't hurt that his cigars are good too. Matter of fact, I, that, uh, I, that I think I've mentioned I don't really enjoy his cigars. Really, I don't yeah. know what's wrong with you, man. Now I only had. Two or three offerings of them. I, I like. I, I think the, I've the, had two of his different cigars, and one was the limited H Town Lancero. Much as I love Lanceros, I did not care for that cigar. I only had I, two of those. But. I did not have that one. I had just the Corona, his original line, and I think it's fantastic. I really like it. Hmm. I can dig it. Well, we got another story here. That is culminating. The game yes. is afoot, to quote Sherlock Holmes, um, legislatively speaking anyway. Uh, since our last episode, we've had a couple of revelations come down the pike with the uh, continuing saga of the FDA and their intent to regulate cigars, uh, and, you know, all tobacco products to include premium cigars. Uh, I don't think that is... Uh, specifically the the target in their mind, but certainly it's it's included in their umbrella of what they want to regulate. And uh, they submitted their proposed plan to regulate cigars and other tobacco products to the OMB, which is the Office of Management and Budget. Um, those of you that don't know, the FDA does not have to go through a congressional process to enact new regulation. It just has to be approved as feasible and you know, wise in budget budgetary res, um, respects by the OMB. And so they passed it along. Um, this is what we've been talking about for a couple of years now. And, you know, there have been a number of options put out on the table. We don't know specifically what was retained and kept in the, uh, what they called their deeming document that was published last year. Um, so we don't know all the details, but we know none of the options were especially great for, for premium cigars. Um, you know, there was an option that would exempt some cigars 
Um, but that option limited premium cigars to things that were over $10 per, per cigar. Um, no flavorings could be added, that kind of thing. Uh, and if though if something did not meet those requirements, they would be subject to the other option uh, for the regulation, which is stringent testing and and uh, lab work and everything else to go with it uh, for various blends, uh, most all the blends, I suppose. And then there was another factor of having uh, a grandfather date, which has been kicked around, where cigars that were in the market before that date would be. Uh, exempted as long as nothing was changed in the blend which who knows what that even means was that you know crop years change a blend let alone you know, any number of other factors but uh, additionally after after that was passed along 11 uh, democratic senators including including your own uh, dick durbin up there in illinois have written a letter to the omb to push this through as quickly as possible and not dilly-dally. They, they want to get this done in the interest of protecting the youth from smoking all these $10 cigars, I guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know, folks. This is, this is where we are. This is what we've been talking about. The, the foot's on the other hand, so to speak, and uh, we're just waiting for, for the other shoe to drop. Well, this is... This is more of a, a heads up for those of us who have been following this story, which I hope certainly outnumber those of us who have not been. So we've we've done our duty, kind of filled you in as to uh, where things sit. I, I guess I'm slightly hazy, being the the novice to um, the FDA regulations, what the precedent has been set for FDA regulations in the past and how this process moves forward time-wise. I've, I've seen a couple items out there. There's two um, uh, editorials that seem to be prolifically uh, spread about Facebook and such the last week or so, one from Half Wheel, one from Cigar Authority. And there's some varying information in the two of those, but it seems as if after the OMB process, which could be as long as a 90-day process, with the potential for um, going beyond that, extending beyond that. It appears as if after this process is complete, then the the regulations would officially go into effect. Or, um, as was brought up by the Cigar Authority, what's likely to happen is that a lawsuit will be raised, kind of postponing things a little bit while um, this plays out in the judicial branch. So... We've informed you of what's going on. Hopefully you can reach out to any additional senators to raise the number from 18 who support Senate Bill 441, which would call for the exemption of the cigar, of premium cigars. Hopefully we still have a little bit of time to do that. Reach out to your local legislative uh, representatives, folks. Um, still definitely time. The CRA does have some good forms that you can start with there. No doubt about it. It was just on the website today. But Here's where my question comes in with this, and it's not so much dealing with the the uh, statement of the press release or the discussion of the editorials about this process. If option two is approved or suggested by the OMB, and option two for a quick refresher is that uh, premium cigars over $10 would be exempt from these FDA regulations, does it make sense that the cigar industry stops 
absolutely stops, discontinues um, normal blends that have come out after the 2007 line in the sand that's been drawn. And as a refresher, cigars prior to 2007 would be grandfathered in. Cigars released prior to 2007, marketed prior to 2007. Which essentially would eliminate the majority of what we know are called boutique brands. That's correct. And cigars that have come out or been marketed after 2007, they would be subject to these regulations. My question being, what if those cigars introduced post-2007, discontinued, are there brands out there right now that are looking to remarket, slightly change, essentially come out with a new release, which is just the same as an old release, and put a price tag of $10.00 on it? Is that something that we think could be a realistic end game here? That yet again, the consumer has to front this bill in the fact that now a cigar that was $8 is going to be $2 higher. And so this could potentially lower cigar sales because it's raising the cost of them, but it may not kill cigar sales. Is that what we think the industry is doing from a consumer's perspective? Can we just expect the cigars that we know and love today to potentially still be available, but be available at a premium price? Is there anything we've seen that would prevent that from occurring rather than actually killing those lines? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, you know, do you take a $6 cigar and sell it for 10 a piece and give a $100 bill in every box or something? I don't know. Well, it, it's a realistic question. You know, I, I don't know. Well, I, it is, really but there, there are some, there is some language in the proposal that would probably frown on something like that. Um, I know it would eliminate the uh, possibility of free samples. There would be no samples anymore. Uh, severely restrict events. Uh, so there's, there's some collateral damage that comes with this that in little paragraphs that are attached to it. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know what all the, all the ramifications would be. All right, so free samples. The big, uh, the big impact there is IPCPR. What if the cost of admission to IPCPR is raised and you're purchasing your cigars that you're trying for um, consumption to determine if you're going mm-hmm. to be buying that cigar and the manufacturer is actually compensated? Again, the consumer or the, the tobacconist has to pay, has to front the bill, but the cigar manufacturer may reap a small benefit from this. Is that possible? Are we able to just, are we looking at a future where we can still do things? We just have to do them differently. I, I, I've just been really giving a lot of thought to this since Tuesday or whenever it was that the OMB announcement was made, was publicized. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, that would still certainly be up in the air, but, to something like IPCPR, what ha- what do you think people already complain about attendance being down some years and about people that treat it like a trick-or-treating session? What do you think is going to happen if people have to pay for those samples? Does that just tear up, uh, tear down the uh, IPCPR as an institution? You know, it, I don't think so. And the reason why I don't think so is – 
a cynical one, but IPCPR is looking to get rid or has, I shouldn't put words in their mouth. The opinion has been that IPCPR has always recognized they have a looky-loo problem. Yep. So, so if you've got a looky-loo problem and you raise the costs, that helps to restrict those people who are just there as a cigar vacation. The big smoke, but for retailers. So one common thread that I've heard is that attendance has been down. You see more buyers and less people who are less serious. I would imagine those people are probably going to stay the same. They're making it a requirement of their profession to be there, to buy at the right prices, to have access to the, uh, the new releases. It's something that's kind of a non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of those tobacconists really make it make economic sense, and that's not a very uh, not a very well put sentence. I understand that, but it makes economic sense for them to go and make massive purchases at IPCPR because of the deals that are offered or the cigars that are available, what otherwise may not be. So I think that you're still going to see that be a benefit. It's just the people who are ultimately going to be paying for this are the consumers. It's just, it's like raising taxes. What happens when you raise corporate taxes? It costs more for the consumer. It just, it's a frustrating inevitability, I feel. And yeah. And, and for, just, I mean, for manufacturer, does it, they have to figure out if it makes more sense to raise the price so that the MSRP is $10 or does it make more sense to go through the hassle and the trouble and the added costs to be able to just, you know, could you then, then, do all this testing and all this reporting and regulation and following the rules and have a cigar that can still perform under $10 or is it suddenly a $15 cigar because of all those extra costs? That's it's a great point. And I think, I think perhaps a, a commodity that may be even more valuable than the money is the time associated with that. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine that the FDA is going to have this down as a well-oiled machine immediately that this process is going to be accomplished in a matter of weeks. I've worked in facilities that had the FDA on site every minute they're operating. They're not that efficient. So are we still going to be quantifying that time frame in weeks yet? It's in dozens of weeks and hundreds of weeks rather than, uh, rather than two or three or 10. I, I, I worry I worry again from the consumer's perspective. And and yet again, folks, it, uh, boy, I, I'm really, I'm pushing myself out there as an expert and I don't mean to. Do not think that I, that I have some, you know, back channel communication to people in the industry. I'm just somebody who's given a lot of thought to this. So bear that in mind. But it's all the more reason for us to be active with our our representatives to try to make this something that we won't suffer from. Maybe you say, oh, they're going to select option two because there's no way that they'd kill the, the, um, the cigar industry. It's too big of a part of the big wigs who are in D.C. They wouldn't want to get rid of the cigars because it would impact them too. I, fine, okay? So if you think that it's going to be option two and we'll just have this this uh, potential exemption out there, that's going to have a bigger impact on you 
besides not being able to get some cigars, it's going to have a bigger impact because it's going to cost you more from day one. No questions asked. And that's yeah. frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I guess under option one, cigars that are in the, in the, uh, the lag time between that 2007 date and the date that the regulations would go into effect, I think they would have two years to come into compliance. Uh, you know, it, another question here. Didn't that 2007 date, wasn't that being discussed as being moved to 2011? It was, but it didn't happen, I don't think. It, it, the language remained the same. It clearly didn't happen. I just don't, I, I don't remember, I don't remember seeing or getting wind of that failing or having not uh, been approved. I, I don't know. Yeah. With those, uh, the, with regard to the samples, there's already some legislation in local places. New York City is one, I think, if I'm remembering right from story we did over a year ago, that no promotions, no coupons, no buy one, get one free, you know, buy however, get three free as an example in the chat room. I don't think you can do that in some locales already. It's just not a federal program. Sorry, I'm putting something in the chat room. And I just ashed on my pants. Ow. <laughs> Officer Paul says when dealing with the federal government, there's one thing that ends up well oiled and it's not the machine. That's very true. I think, you know, aside from the pricing changes, the availability changes and brands or marks falling out of the market, um, there's plenty of other little details that, that are maybe not as intrusive, but, you know, there's some labeling changes that have to put similar kind of warnings to what's on cigarette packages at this net now, um, which is already, that's been that way for years and years in Europe. I used to buy pipe tobacco out of Europe and it always had the stickers on it. Yeah. I, I certainly have bought my fair share of cigars overseas and uh, some of those labels can be horrendous. I mm -hmm. mean, disgusting photographs of, of things. And I, I believe if I remember correctly, and we, we certainly have some uh, Australian listeners, they can correct me on this, but I believe that Australia not only has those, uh, labels, but they also have, if I remember right, I think Australia implemented a, um, a plain packaging regulation. I, um, I think that that went into effect, actually. Plain packaging went into effect in Australia. It's, it's on the floor in the UK. Hmm. But yeah, right, right, right. Officer, Officer Pete. <laughs> Not Officer Pete, just Pete. What, what, Big Pete. Yeah, yeah, and talked to us about that, and a couple other folks out of Australia. They they walk into a cigar shop which can't have advertising out front, which by the way is already in place in the UK. You, they can no longer have signs in the window that even say they sell cigars. But in Australia, it's talking to Pete. Sounds like you walk into a place you happen to know sells cigars and tell them what they want, what you want, and you can't see them or touch them. They go dig them out from the back somewhere, bring them to you with plain white boxes and plain white bands on them that just say what they are. If I, uh, if I recall correctly about something else, I think Wal Barano uh, of Barano's fame 
in uh um oh, I'm gonna forget the city in in um uh Australia. I believe he retired a year ago, year and a half ago, because the regulations and he was one of the most successful brick and mortars in all of Australia, probably in the top three, I believe. He retired and just moved to Cuba. Just retired to Cuba, was done with the cigar industry, said it wasn't worth it. It was just time. And uh <laughs> you know, you, you lose you lose cornerstones of the industry in your entire nation, your entire continent, and uh perhaps you you might be having a negative impact that uh isn't yeah. necessary. But while you were talking I was browsing around uh, a couple of other articles on it and the, the one that's on half wheel I noticed on their last paragraph says the FDA's own research estimates that not exempting cigars will cost the agency itself 115 to 300 million dollars over the next 20 years and could remove half of the existing cigars on the market today. Well, if nothing else, the almighty dollar might win out there. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Well, stay tuned. I, I know that the FDA has uh, recommended to the OMB that this process um, be expedited. I know a number of uh, congressmen, I believe it was congressmen, I don't believe it was senators, um, have recommended that this process be expedited. So I, I would expect that we're going to see a response here sometime between Christmas, or excuse me, Thanksgiving and Christmas. That would uh, That would seem to me to be logical. Yeah, I don't I think, think they, that White House uh, is sitting on this one. I think that there's been a lot of thought already given to it. Yeah, it sounded like they typically have 90 days, but there's no penalty or problem if it takes longer. But, yeah, I, I agree. I think they'll do something fairly quickly now. At least the, the White House has demonstrated in the past year uh, a slant to lean towards the second option, the secondary option, the one offering the premium cigar exemption. Um, yeah. It's not something to fall back on, um, and certainly politics always wins, but at least that's a, that's a glimmer of hope that we're not going to be completely killed here. Yeah, but it's, it's a political appeasement. I mean, you shoot the moon knowing you're going to get half that. It's like the, sure. the guys I used to know that had to budget for various factories. They would submit a $200 million budget for the year knowing they're going to get about 100 But if they put in a budget for 100 they're only going to get 50 or 70 So you shoot for everything you can and just take what you can get. Yeah, something wrong there, but. I don't know how to fix it, so. Uh, well, well, we got another couple news stories here. We do, and I am. Uh, we can either break the show for just a minute, or I'm can let you talk about this next story for just a minute. But I need to step away for a sec. Uh, no problem. While Kip takes a pee break, I will certainly comment on. Uh, I'm actually going to skip a story here because I want Kip around for uh, uh, for the one that's immediately following the 
OMB story in our notes, which um, just happens to be something that we followed a little bit over the past few months. That's it's just such an odd story. I, I, I feel slight, I don't know, discomfort in talking about this, but at the same time, I think that it's necessary for us to, uh, to comment on it as well. So house of Emilio, they, they are back in the news and it's unfortunately yet again, not, um, a positive story or a positive spin. House of Emilio has been sued by one of their, former um, brands that they distributed, Epicurean Cigars, uh, specifically the owner of Epicurean Cigars. In, in, I'll just I'll read how I have it put in here. I, I think that it uh, is expressed well. In a move that further exemplifies the fall from grace that the House of Emilio distribution giant has been experiencing in 2015, one of its original brand owners is suing the group over lost and withheld income. It's just, it's almost comical at this point, and I don't know what to say. It almost seems as if, as if management is just gone. I mean, there's no one at the wheel here. It's, I don't know. I, uh, there's some other statistics and facts that I, some of them I lifted from the, the half wheel reporting, which was, uh, uh, quite good on this story. Um, but, I, I I don't know, Kip. I don't know if you've heard anything through the grapevine, but is House of Emilio just in in just dire financial straits? Do we know anything why this just continues to spiral? I don't know. I mean, it's been relatively quiet. I mean, the the two dominant players in that organization, the two faces of the company, left. And five or six of the nine companies they represented have bailed. So I don't know. I mean, it's there's a lot of things we could speculate about, but I don't know any cold, hard facts. Yeah, I believe six um, have left or ceased to exist. It's, uh, it's, it's just strange. I mean, the only... Um, really, the only people that are still around are um, Ezra Zion, uh, Emilio, and what's the third? Oh, the third that's still around. Um, Your guess, Nomad. Nomad. Okay. Well, no, okay. So I guess that is four because it's going to be 1502 as well, isn't it? 1502 is definitely still yeah. around. Yeah. So 1502, Emilio, Ezra Zion, and Nomad. So well, there's, there's four, but one of those is Emilio Cigars themselves. Well, that's correct. I mean, they could certainly have someone else distribute them, and that is the brand that started the distribution wing. Uh, Emilio was the first brand to be under that uh, shield, but you're right. It's, I don't know, it's uh, it's a modest amount, I guess, in terms of a national or international business, it's a little over $150,000, but it is a sizable amount of cigars when you're considering um, that Half Wheel is reporting that the purchase price, the distribution purchase price was 27% below wholesale. So looking at some of the, the retail um, cigar prices for Epicurean cigars, Right around the $9 range. That's uh, about average on what I was able to find. Excuse me. Um, if you're keystoning that, putting it at 450 for wholesale, 
27% below that um, being what the average cost of an Epicurean cigar was purchased by um, House of Emilio. That's that's a bit under 50,000 cigars. That's still a lot of cigars. I mean, it is. Heck that, of a that, lot of cigars. That is a buttload of cigars. And when you're saying that uh, someone had acquired those cigars, purchased them, sold them, made money off of them, and you saw nothing for it, that's uh, that's a difficult situation. And, and that's only one side of the story. Um, certainly there's two sides to every one, but this is not... This is not the first time that House of Emilio has had some uh, unfortunate things reported about it this year. So just wanted to keep you informed. Yeah. By the way, I like those Epicurean cigars. The uh, the Gonto, I think is what he called one. It was really good. Been a long time since I've had one. That is correct. Gonzo was an offering. There's a... And uh, go ahead. I think Cigar Federation, well, I know Cigar Federation still is selling some of them. Um, they, few- yeah, <laughs> since they're the, re- the e-tail front for <laughs> Emilio, or the Delaware cigars anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, not surprising that they would have some, but that's it's interesting. I, uh, I wonder what's going to happen with the availability of stock, considering the impending lawsuit. Yeah, Steve uh, Isidron is the uh, owner of Epicurean. He's a nice guy, interesting guy. His his family was for, well, not just his family. He himself was for many, many years with uh, Savinelli pipes and subsequently cigars. He ran Savinelli's premium cigar division, I believe. I believe I met him, actually, at an event years back, probably eight or nine years ago. He used to smoke a lot of Savinelli cigars. I enjoyed them. Good cigars. Yeah. But gone the way of the Dodo these uh, recently, more recently. Yeah. Yeah. Those have been gone for quite a long time now. Uh, at least five years. Well, and uh, oh, I guess the only other thing to report here, I'm chuckling, but it's not really humorous. It's just interesting is that uh, Steve is being uh, represented in this process by Frank Herrera, none other than uh, Frank Herrera of Frank Herrera Biography and Cardinal uh, de Cobre and um, all his famed representation of Guantanamera. Uh, it's, he certainly has, uh, has been a major player in a lot of the legal battles recently in the cigar industry over the last 10 years, 15 years. Yeah, I mean, he generally deals with trademark law, but I guess he dabbles with whatever comes up. <coughs> I'd say that, excuse me, boy, I just inhaled that puff accidentally. <laughs> if uh, <coughs> if you're going to look at a lot of the uh, the the um, lawsuits that have taken place in the cigar industry over the last few years, he's, he's dabbled in quite a few of those. There was certainly yeah. that uh, Padilla lawsuit no, the Padilla was La Aurora. Yeah. Um, oh, there was a more recent one. I feel like it was Drew Estate. It was oh, it, it was uh, Herrera. Yeah, he clashed with the name usage, but That's that wasn't correct. that never made it to lawsuit status. They reached an agreement without That's, getting. That. That's right. 
Well, well I did I, save uh, the previous story. I wanted you, some of your thoughts on that because I really don't have uh, I don't have a lot of experience here with Griffins, but I do have a an inkling of a question. I'm wondering if you know anything about. Probably not, because frankly, I don't have a lot of experience with Griffins either. Um, I just kind of threw this in there because we talked about the other two uh, introductions recently and. Those of you who follow me already know what I'm talking about, but Edinger, Odinger, Davidoff, uh, the parent company of Davidoff and Avo and Griffins and a handful of others, the Cusano, any number of different brands. Private stock. Yeah. they. Uh, we've talked about recently how they've introduced Nicaraguan, at least Nicaraguan monikered cigars for Davidoff and for Avo. And now they're giving the same treatment to uh, Griffins. Going to release uh, Griffins Nicaragua. It's going to be out sometime early next year. Have a Nicaraguan Habano wrapper, Dominican Piloto Cubano binder, and five filler tobaccos from all over the cigar producing world, at least Honduras, Dominican Republic, and Nicaragua. Um, I don't yet know just a whole lot about it. This is a, something I just caught. And like I said, I'm not a huge Griffin smoker. I haven't had one in a very, very long time. Um, but I wanted to put this in there just to kind of close the circle up since we've talked about similar stories with Davidoff and Avo. Avo's actually gotten a complete reboot from all appearances. Yeah, there's no doubt about the, that fact. Avo certainly has. And, uh, I don't know much about the new um, Griffins Nicaragua, but I certainly have been outspoken a little bit about the Davidoff Nicaragua. And uh, I, I think it would be pretty cool to do a little tasting of all these uh, uh, Davidoff parent company, the Ottinger parent company uh, Nicaraguan releases. That would be kind of a fun little thing with uh, Davidoff Avo Griffins. It might be cool to play around with that. Yeah, I uh, actually got a stray message from somebody connected to that organization this week. May, hmm. Maybe may be able to finagle my way into that. A stray message or uh, a, and, and a message that you weren't expecting but was intended for you? <laughs> there you go. It, it was intended for me, just not expected. From someone I did not know previously. Dear Hans Christian, <laughs> Kip at halfwheel or halfash.com. Halfwheel. <laughs> Talk too much about halfwheel tonight. I know, I have. I and I'm I apologize. That <laughs> being what do we got here? Well, oh, let's talk about this cigar a little bit. It's been a while and I got uh, some stuff to say. Well, why don't you start off? Because I, uh, I'm not the biggest fan of this second one that I've lit up, and I have let my first go out. But uh, I'll relight it when you're when you're chatting. Cool. Well, I am now firmly into the second example of tonight's unbanded, and um, this one is is different than the first one. Hang on, get a little bit of echo. Different than the first one. I don't know that I would call it. Uh, strongly uh, different as your experience with your first one, but uh, I actually think it may be impacted by the fact that I've already had one of these and my palate's kind of 
adjusted to it, but I'm not getting near the strength and the spice. I uh, did early, early on, just the first few pups, puffs, <laughs> pups, uh, and uh, that that pretty well dissipated, and it's gotten a peculiar flavor. I'm really liking it. It's real uh, cinnamony, like uh, uh, the the heat from a cinnamon, not necessarily a pepper kind of heat. Um, you know, we think uh, cinnamon toothpicks rather than some kind of sweet cinnamon on a pineapple slice like we've talked about before. Mm. I'm kind of digging it. I like it. It's it's tempered with uh, some sweetness in the background that really kind of comes through as well. I'm digging it. I'm actually liking my second one more so than the first one. I I have to say I enjoyed my first more than I am enjoying my second, and I do completely agree with you. These are uh, These are experiences that do not line up. Uh, I'll put it that way. I I would not even say they're the same cigar. Uh, these two that I'm smoking right now, and I I really am curious if it is just kind of palate fatigue and how it's impacting me. Um, hmm. <laughs> As you sit there holding two cigars at the same time. Yeah, well, I I had been smoking the two cigars, no doubt about it. But what I what I will definitely say is that I am completely noticing the nicotine now, having smoked the first one of these, approaching the final third. It's it's fair to uh, be set down at this point. Um, and the second one, I'm probably an inch and a half into it, two inches into it. And I really, I, I do not find it to be as sweet. I find it to be much more um, grassy, much more dusty, things of those along those flavors along that spectrum. I'll put it that way. Um I don't know. I, I I really it's the construction is much better on the second option. Um it is still not spicy, not at all like what you discussed your first offering being the first uh, inch or so of your first offering being. Um but I don't know. I I, I feel like you know, this isn't a secret to anyone who's uh, been around for some of Dan's cigars that he's sent to us. I feel like sometimes he gets diamonds in the rough when he uh, is uh, shopping for uh, some of his, his deal offerings. But sometimes you get cigars like this that I just tend to think aren't really consistent. I, I wonder if this is probably from the same uh, roller. It's I'm sorry, from the same manufacturer. It probably was from the same box even, but that box may very well have been filled with um, may very well have been filled with cigars that were just inconsistent inconsistent blends. So we'll uh, we'll see. Yeah, uh, just trying to put some pieces together. It's almost like we have the same two cigars each, but we smoked them in the opposite order. You know, that could very well be. Except I will say my second one is not overly spicy and you had mentioned it was very spicy on the first it was for for a good solid inch plus into that first one Hmm. actually i made some comments to you before the show started of what i thought about a maker for this cigar and the second one not at all i would never think that Hmm. 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 what you been smoking this week 
Well, I uh, I've had two cigars, and they are the same one, and they've been a little bit of a uh, oh, I, I don't know. I think I think people have kind of had a divided opinion on this one, or at least not necessarily a positive opinion. And so yeah, cigar, I, I agree. The the cigar that I have uh, delved into this week was the Padron Damaso or Damaso, wherever that accent is. Um, so for those of you that have been living under a rock for the last six months, this is Padron's first, uh, foiray into a Connecticut wrapped cigar. Um, I, I'll put it this way. Don't listen to the negative press on the cigar. This is not a waste of $12. It is not, um, going to be something that you'll put down in an inch and say that it was a, a, a mistake. Yes, it tastes like Connecticut leaf. Yes, it tastes like a Padron. It's good, and it's worth trying, but don't go into it expecting it to be something that it's just not going to be. They're they're being very honest about the fact that they're going in a different direction, but you're going to know that it has the same character, that same soul, to use a, a very qualitative term. That same soul um, is in this cigar. You can tell... At least to me, I feel like I could tell that it had the core of Padron tobacco and that it shared some tobacco with a lot of their regular cigars, a lot of their regular offerings. So I found it to be enjoyable. It did burn quickly. Um, it it brought a little bit of a different spin to a Connecticut wrapped cigar. It wasn't just overly crisp and grassy and mild and boring. It was milder, but it was full flavored. Um, and the crispness was there, but it was, it was almost, I, I don't know. It was subdued without question. Um, but it didn't offer an incredible balance because there wasn't, uh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll step back. This was a little bit more narrowly minded cigar. It wasn't a full sweet and savory complimentary offering that we, that I talk about enjoying so much. This was probably more centered on being middle of the road. It wasn't overly crisp and light and it wasn't overly dark and, and deep. It really rode that center rail and it had aspects of both um, the, the poles, but it, it didn't venture too far in either direction. It, it was done well. It's, it's a great example of a Connecticut for people who aren't necessarily Connecticut lovers. Hmm. Now you made me want to try it again. I've gone back and forth based on all the comments that, that you mentioned. Well, it uh, it was a fun one to try. I, I enjoyed it on a in the morning on a fresh palate with a cup of coffee the first time, and then in the afternoon, um, just an hour, well, a couple hours after lunch, and uh, it performed well in both on both occasions. Cool. Well. I got two on here. The first one I've actually talked about a number of times in the past few weeks because I am enamored with this cigar, and it's the Chohui. Uh, I had a chance to go visit with Victor, uh, the owner, this week. And, man, I I bought precious few cigars since I've been in this country because it's ridiculous. Cigars, Dominican cigars made here cost more here than they do in Florida. Uh-huh. <laughs> But the overwhelming majority, almost all, 
the cigars that I have actually purchased since I've been here have been Joqui. Joqui. Um, uh, the the guy has a fantastic cigar. I love it. And I'm going to send you a couple. We're going to bring him on the show and, and we can feature him that week. And then we just found out, you know, through a stray comment that Skip Martin made and Dave Burke had, had uh, reviewed and interviewed Victor on his show, the, the cigar jukebox. Uh, and I could not be happier. I mean, this, this, this cigar has single-handedly revived what may have been a waning or fading interest in Dominican cigars. It, it, I'm very impressed with it, to say the least. And I smoked a buttload of them this week. <laughs> you know, maybe you could uh, not worry so much about your budget if you just smoked less cigars. Eh. <laughs> it's crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Actually, I since since moving here, it's cut cut down considerably as the really? dwindles. Yeah. Huh. Don't have uh, quite the time. Also, when I visited with him, I got to smoke uh, a cigar that he has produced, but may or may not release under his name. It actually may be for someone else, but it has a Negrito wrapper, which is a wrapper used by Caldwell, uh, interestingly enough. And uh, it was really good, too. I liked it quite a bit. It, it He told me when he gave it to me, this is uh, kind of like a, uh, a corollary or a... Uh, you know, Something similar to San Andres, the, the rapper, but without the earthiness. And I completely agreed. It had had a lot of that sweetness in it, but without the earthy kind of overtones or background uh, that sometimes you can get with San Andres. It, it was really enjoyable. And he also gave me uh, a couple of his next line that will be out in November um, called Primer Año. Uh, first year it's a celebration of his first year since he started the company and i have not yet smoked that so we'll, we'll see what happens this week but i'm excited about it hmm. very cool the other one on here i uh, actually went down to buy a couple of choque <laughs> at las tres reinas the shop here that's owned by quesada and that shop has a neat story it it was originally going to be uh, like a distribution center for Quesada within this country. And the people wanted cigars. They started selling Quesada produced cigars and the people wanted other cigars. So now they're selling all kinds of cigars, Quesada produced or not. And, and in fact, it's the only shop so far I've been to in Santiago that has a decent supply of Nicaraguan cigars. They have a, a healthy row a healthy shelf of my father and Tatuahe at the shop. So I'm haven't I haven't bought any of those two brands since I've been here, but I'm happy to know they're available. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway, um Eduardo, a uh, gentleman that works there, I the that day I stopped by, I think it may have been last Saturday. Yeah, I think it was last Saturday. And uh, I was just chatting with him, talking cigars and all. And he pulled out his personal stash. And some of you probably know Quesada produces Fonseca uh, cigars. And he gave me one. And I noticed that the cellophane was this in color. And he said he 
at some point in the past was milling around the factory and saw this box of cigars sitting over on a shelf somewhere and noticed the date code was ancient on it and dug it out. And it was a box of Fonseca's from 1995. So man, oh man. Uh, he, he gave me that and I smoked it today, early this afternoon uh, up in the mountains. We were actually pouring concrete again, which is oh. r- rough on old muscles. Cause when you're, out there cut off from the world. You can't just pull up a concrete truck and start pouring the driveway. You mix bags of cement with <laughs> dirt and gravel in a wheelbarrow and it's backbreaking work, but it's a great way to get to know the, the people up in the community. It's just spend the day working beside them. It's actually very cool. Um, but anyway, I took that cigar with me today and had it after we finished up the work for the day. Um, it was what you would expect. Now, I, I was never a Fonseca fan, uh, not a huge one back in the day, and I haven't smoked one in probably in the 2000s, probably the 90s, last time I'd had one. And I remembered you know, during the boom, uh, many brands kind of rushed things out and maybe weren't uh, in my wheelhouse of preferred flavors. But this one, uh, I don't know if it's a factor of the time or, or what. The, uh, as you might expect, the, the strength had faded considerably. It was a very, very mild cigar, but still had a good bit of flavor, and it was so light and airy. It was one of those cigars that if you were doing something else, you would completely miss it. It's one of those you got to pay attention to and, and just enjoy the moment with that, that cigar. Uh, and you know the strength was mild still flavorful and, and sweet none of the um, the thing i remember about the boom in the 90s were not not necessarily fonseca but many brands at the time was this strong vegetal kind of flavor of tobacco that may not have been ready at the time and uh, if that was ever in this cigar it was not there today after this much time it was it, it just had this faint sweetness, just the, almost like the, the baking spice. And it was a sizable cigar, maybe a double Corona. It may have been a Churchill. I think it was a little bigger than that. Um, and smoked that thing down to, you know, probably an inch or so and enjoyed every minute of it. It was a, it was a really good cigar. I don't want to buy more to wait 20 years for that experience, but it was it was a fine smoke. Well, I <clears throat> I love vintage and mature cigars. I'm they're not for everybody, no doubt, but I I absolutely dig how the flavors change, how the the nuances of how it's how cigars present themselves is completely different. It tastes like one cohesive unit. It, it just oh man, I, it, I love that you get that. It had the. Uh... A strong presence of cedar, very cedary, but it was it was not sharp in the way you know you get some cigars that are so overtly cedary that they're almost like an eastern cedar, you know, the, the American cedar you'd find in a cedar chest. I don't like that, but it was very faint and just just enough to make it really interesting. Mm. I liked it a bunch. Burn perfectly, I presume. Oh, yeah. Um, remarkably so. So much so that I kept pointing it out to my buddy Nick, who was with me. I was like, check out the burn on the cigar. 
and it, it, it actually had a, uh, I can't show you on this cigar, but it had, uh, I don't know what this means. I'm not that into the physiological things happening in a cigar, but the mascara line that people talk about so much, it had such a sharply defined and prominent mascara line throughout its entire length. And it just, I don't think I ever even touched it up. I lit it and forgot about it. Never had to break out the lighter again. I love that. I love when you get a, a really uh, well-aged cigar. You know, I shouldn't even say well-aged. Most of the time, a cigar that is just um, of superior quality that has aged for a number of years. If you smoke it and you have one of those experiences when it burns perfectly, you see the striations on the ash of where your puffs were. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, I love that, that, I don't know, that, that visual representation that you're smoking the cigar properly. It's kind of a nerdy thing, but uh, really, really cool. And you, you get that much more, I find, on vintage tobacco. Yeah. Vintage tobacco. Yeah, yeah. How was the aroma on that pre-light? Um, it, it was pretty faint, actually. Uh, oh. There's not a lot there. It was not. It had some of that pungency to it that you get on these older cigars, but it wasn't. It wasn't very super strong. Hmm. I I'm certainly not the only one or the first one to say this, but um, vintage cigars that have been stored in cellophane uh, really do have. Oh yeah. There are those striations, baby. Yeah, that's what I was going to show. You can see exactly what you're t talking about by moving out. I love that picture. It's very cool. Well, I, uh, and for those of you, certainly on the audio version of this, Kip just showed a photograph on, uh, on the video. Um, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that dog on it, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, vintage cigars, man. If you're somebody who enjoys the nuances and doesn't need to be kicked in the teeth, uh, not too much that's similar to it. It's spectacular. Yeah. Hey, by the way, the Shohui. Here's a picture of a Shohui. Um, not yes, sir. Focus no, 77. He is on the cusp of sending his first shipment to the States. He's got a distributor. I do not know how many shops or where, none of that kind of stuff, but I know they're going into the U.S., so I definitely recommend the cigars. House of Emilio's Dominican offering. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> well, very cool. Well, we uh, we probably, I, I, you know, I had mentioned earlier that we talk a little bit about, uh, just a little bit about, tobacco fermentation and uh and aging i think we're going to get to that on our next show i want to have a little bit more uh to talk about plus we're already over an hour and a half on this one so and we need to unveil and exactly and we have another very important segment coming up the grand unveiling of this cigar of the week it's so, going to take i'm going to have to get some tools to open this package well <laughs> while you uh while you grab the blowtorch and the jaws of life um i i have to say i uh was really surprised by how quickly the nicotine snuck up on me during the smoking of that second one um that was uh that was definitely something that made an impact 
the inconsistency of these two, though neither one of them was uh, unenjoyable, I very much enjoyed the first cigar more than the second in terms of the sweetness, those flavors that came across. The second one performed better. It burned better. Um, well, it, it burned exceptionally, and the first did not. But uh, I, I'd have to say Nicaraguan um, seemed to be what I was getting. But there definitely could have been some of that Dominican in the, the kind of sweet, grassy hay notes that I was getting. That's a, that's a flavor that you find or that seems to be synonymous with old-school Dominican cigars, too. Um, I, I would not venture a guess on manufacturer. Um, it, the cigar came across as a little... Um, I'll say typical, but that's not a detriment to it whatsoever. It just had a lot of basic, uh, nice sweetness, nice tobacco flavor, nice kind of grassy or vegetal flavor. Um, so it, it didn't really go in one camp or another. So I could I could see myself saying Nicaraguan and Dominican. Well, you know from the uh, pre-show chatter that I was convinced with the first one that it was an A.J. Fernandez-produced cigar. Second one, step back from that. And, you know, it, I still think it's Nicaraguan. Um, it, the second one had a little bit of, little bit more sweetness to it. If I had to make a guess based solely on the second one, I might have guessed Hoya de Nicaragua or something. But the first one to me was quintessential. AJ Fernandez, uh, it, it it just was, um, but I, I'm clueless. I, I think it's Nicaraguan, but don't know that I have a golly DC. Don't know that I have a a, a specific guess. Huh. Those Netflix packages are like <laughs> Tyvek, right? Look at this. When I open it up, you see the picture. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Ave Maria. I don't think I even know what that is. I don't either without uh, consulting the Google. Interesting. An Ave Maria. That band didn't look familiar. The name doesn't sound familiar. Boy, oh boy. See, this is the only downside to uh, having to do our research on the spot here is we don't have all the answers right away, and one of us has got to chatter while the other one finds everything out. Mm. <laughs> uh, I'm going to start talking again. We have to stop Kip from singing. Uh, you find anything yet? Do we know a manufacturer or a country or anything along those lines? Well, I'm looking. Hmm. I'll go to the chat room, see if anybody in the chat room's heard that name before. <laughs> All right, somebody said CI uh, Special or Cigar.com. It, it is an AJ Fernandez produced cigar. Look at that. Mr. Fisher is right on the money. I'm looking for some. It just says Ecuadorian Habano wrapper, Nicaraguan Habano binder, Nicaraguan Lijero Viso, and Honduran Viso filler. Honduran, interesting. I would not have ventured that guess based on the second cigar. First one was eat up with it, but this one, not at all. Hmm. 
Well, there you go. I uh, uh, yeah, a couple people in the chat room said uh, that they've had them. That they're AJ Fernandez, CI Special, or Cigar .com, That sort of a thing. So, hey, hey, to to me, although I would not have guessed it from the second cigar, AJ Fernandez has what kind of, you know to my unsophisticated palate that tends to put thing into big big blocks rather than specific details it's very recognizable to me when his hand is on a blend just, just for whatever it is i don't know hmm. well i don't have a huge amount of experience with him i certainly know those southern draw offerings which i think are are some of the best examples of his those, that I those are special cases I, from what I smoked to the Southern Draw, I may or may not have picked up the AJ Fernandez vibe. Really? Because uh, I would say a hundred percent. I get the uh, the Cuenca. The Cuenca is what I hold up as some of his best work. That Cuenca Five, not the regular line. Love those uh, things. I have to admit that the only Cuencas I've had have been from you, and I was not the biggest fan. I remember. Huh. Interesting. Well, I, I, I definitely enjoyed the, the nice caramel sweetness that came with that first offering. If that cigar had burned better, I'd have stuck with it and been a happy camper. Probably nubbed the thing. It was very enjoyable. But interesting. Well, DC, thank you very much for that one. 5 by 52 the Crusader is what we were smoking. 5 by 52 there you go. Looks like Cigars International has a lot of sampler packs and special deals on these, but if you're just buying those, they're 112 bucks for a box of 20. Okay, so on the five, a little five, bit six, lower than a sweet spot. I mean, that's definitely an affordable cigar. Mm -hmm. hmm. Oh, very interesting. Always nice to expand the palate and uh, try something I hadn't had before, which I certainly had not had those. I had not either, but uh, the guys in the chat room are right. It is a beautiful band, whatever that's worth to you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's at least worth one purchase for you. It's got a, I don't know if you can see that in the video, but it's got you know, pieces of armor and knights and the whole medieval jive, jive vibe to it. <laughs> medieval jive doesn't quite work. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Man, let me tell you, the words that fall out of my head these days in a couple different languages, nothing makes sense half the time. Well, I, I, I'm half tempted to coin the phrase and actually uh, make a joke out of it, but uh, I call that word vomit. <laughs> well, the thing is, we're all trying to learn Spanish, and my kids have to take Spanish and French both simultaneously at school. Oof. And trying to help them with that, and it's I I had four years of French actually in my younger days, but it's been twenty years, and so I remember a lot more of those words than I yet know in Spanish. So sometimes the wrong language will just fall out when I'm trying to come up with a word. Uh, Spanglish. Mm -hmm. I don't yet know any Creole. The uh, Haitians here. Largely, they speak Creole, and it's it's a it's a strange Creole. It's not like Louisiana, where it's just French and English. It's, it's French and Spanish and some 
Aboriginal, Native, African language all mixed together. I can't decipher anything. These guys are working across the street. Say, boy, that's uh, that's darn near lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! Yeah. Well, I think it's about time to wrap this joker up. What you say? I think you're right. Was that time again? Yes, sir. Well, it is. Everyone, we certainly appreciate you tuning in. And uh, when we return for episode 130, we will be smoking the EP Carrillo Short Run 2015, uh, which I had a number of when they first came out back in April-ish, I guess. So it's been a few months. I haven't had one in a while. Um, but uh, I think we'll like it. We'll find out in uh, two weeks or so, I suppose. But if uh, you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, you can get us. Uh, through email, craig at halfashed.com or kip at halfashed.com. And a reminder, if you want to contact Craig and send in some unbanded or some unbanded ideas, uh, we can work out the details with him at that email. And uh, got a fine gentleman coming to visit me in a couple of months, which I think is pretty dang awesome. Um, actually, that was a, a high point of the week last week to start working out some of those details. So I'm digging it. Well, I don't know a gentleman who's coming to visit you. <laughs> Leader hosen wearing gentleman. <laughs> Wait till after I take a drink of water to mention that next time, please. Thank you. <laughs> and you can always find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course the Half Ashed Forum, where you can, uh, which you can find at halfashed.com. Just come on over. There's links on the homepage and every other page through the menu. Uh, you can, Dig us up over there. That's uh, a pretty dang easy way to get in touch with us. Well, as always, we want to make sure that everybody knows how much we appreciate you giving us your time on uh, this Friday evening or whenever it is that you've downloaded the podcast. And certainly want to send tonight's show out to uh, a very deserving, deserving recipient, uh, a friend of both of ours, both Kip and uh, me, Unfortunately, had a loss this past week. I was one of the reasons why I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to get to the cigar store to pick up that Padron uh, Damaso was because I was going to be meeting up with our friend Swede, who you have uh, had the pleasure of sharing a cigar with and who participates in the chat room every once in a while. But uh, unfortunately, uh, what uh, what occurred that prevented us from getting together was the passing of one of Swede's very close friends. Um, very short notice, very close to the time when uh, we were going to be getting together. He sent me a note and said, unfortunately he was going to have to be heading out of town. So life is the only really, or excuse me, death is the only really true item to be expected from life. And, uh, it shouldn't necessarily come as a shock, but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's always easy to to have to deal with. So I guess when while running the risk of um, handling this a little bit too loosely, I just want to make sure that Sweet understands that we really do uh, send our thoughts out to him and want to make sure that that he takes the time necessary to heal and to think about and to feel and to pray and to do whatever else he needs to do to mourn the passing of a good friend of his. So tonight we just really want to make sure that he's aware that we're thinking about him and that uh, we send our best. 
So, and to everybody else who's listening, who may also be dealing with something or having dealt with something very similar to that recently, we just want to make sure that we thank you and to say good night, everybody, and thanks for listening. <laughs>